Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Literacy Podcast. We are very excited to have our special guest today. We have a teacher, um, a third grade teacher from Sumner County, Tennessee. And Sumner County has just been a really, I would say like a big highlight of um, positive energy for Wit and Wisdom. So we're really excited to talk to Natalie. And um, Natalie, don't let me forget, at some point I want you to share all of your Instagram information so everybody can follow you because <laughs> I have loved following you and seeing all the amazing things that you're doing with your students in your classroom throughout this year. And um, so, Melissa, I know you're excited to talk to a teacher today. <laughs> Always. You know, these are like my favorite <laughs> podcasts yes. ever. Um, when we get to hear teachers who are doing this work right now, now um, have been doing it, have been doing it virtually, which has just been crazy. And we haven't we haven't talked to anyone in a little while, right? That I can't remember who we talked to last teacher wise, but um, no. yeah. Well, we're excited whatever. for Natalie. Matter? We get to hear what <laughs> Natalie's been doing the past couple of years, which is exciting. Yeah, Natalie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm sorry that my voice sounds like this today, Natalie. So you're going to do a lot of talking for us. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your wit and wisdom journey. We know that you um, are a teacher in Sumner County and you're super positive. And I think um, just it's been such a joy getting to know you. So welcome and share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Natalie Anderson. I teach third grade in Sumner County, like you said, and um this is my third year teaching. I'm about to wrap up my third year. And so we piloted Wit and Wisdom my first year teaching. So um, we did like from January to May with Wit and Wisdom. And then we really started it, started implementing it, you know, full force my second year teaching. So this is my second full year with Wit and Wisdom. Got it. Okay. And you said that I remember that you mentioned you were very excited for it off the bat, um, yes, I <laughs> which <laughs> I was excited to hear because I feel like sometimes there's a little bit of like, well, what is this? I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I loved your excitement for it. Um, and I know that you had said prior to teaching Wit and Wisdom, you had had like, what, five months of teaching where you had been you know, using Teachers by Teachers, Pinterest, yeah. homemade stuff, Googling yeah. things and trying to be like, how do I teach third grade, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so especially as a first year teacher, I was like, what in the world is going on? I don't know what to do. And I was relying a lot on my team. And so I was really grateful that they were so supportive and that they knew what to do. <laughs> but um, finding out that we were getting a curriculum was, I mean, it was a game changer because we had a curriculum. It was just... Um, you know, it wasn't the most rigorous and it kind of had a reputation for not being the best. And it was just sort of like, we were just waiting for the county to give us something better. So when we found out, I was really excited because I knew all the long hours of, you know, cutting up paper and getting things ready <laughs> and having to create the questions and stuff. Mm -hmm. Most of that was going to be condensed to just learning the curriculum. So that was very, very exciting for all of us. Natalie, I'm wondering, we, we talk a lot often about 
how, you know, what you learn in school <laughs> to prepare you to be a teacher doesn't often match with like having a curriculum like this. I'm wondering like someone that's a little fresher out of school than, than we are. Um, yeah. What was that like to go from like what you learned to do in school to here's a curriculum? Yeah, that's a great question. So I remember, I remember being in college and I raised my hand one day and I was like, so like, how do we teach kids to read? <laughs> because I feel like that's pretty important. And we haven't really learned that. <laughs> they were just like, well, it's more than just, you know, a simple answer. And I kind of felt like I never really got the answer. <laughs> but then becoming an actual reading teacher, I went into it still being like, I have no clue what to do. And it was so stressful. And um, especially in college, you know, you have your practicums and student teaching and things. And I remember them saying, like, you have to write a lesson plan. And of course, in college, mm -hmm. they have you write like the most detailed down to the second <laughs> thing that you could ever think of. And then when you get there, it's nothing like that, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. And I just remember being like, where are we supposed to come up with this stuff? Because in college, they didn't give us a curriculum because we were going to all these different schools and all the schools had a different curriculum. And it was just so confusing. So whenever I got, especially in my student teaching, when I went into it, I was like, oh, there's stuff for us to use. That's helpful. So, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially like our math curriculum is phenomenal. And that was already implemented before I started. So I really got to see how a curriculum works through math. And then um, once we got in wisdom, it was kind of like, ah, the best of both worlds. We got this. We can do this. <laughs> I bet that was helpful for you. Oh, yeah. Super Yeah. Helpful. That's a really good point to have that one curriculum that you're like, oh, I see how this works and I see that it's working for students mm -hmm. and I don't have to stay up all hours of the night, yeah. you know, Googling stuff and Pinteresting stuff and then figuring it out, putting it together. It's already there. And I see the value in that. So that helped. I don't, I'm making an inference that helped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was really helpful for sure. Because it kind of, um, I mean, a lot of curriculums kind of come off as a script for you to use. And mm -hmm. something that our principal said that I felt like was really, um, I guess just like valuable advice. Whenever we first implemented wit and wisdom, he was like, you guys were not taught how to write curriculum. You shouldn't have to write curriculum. You're taught how to teach and that's what you should be doing. So here is this for you. And now you don't have to come up with your own stuff anymore. And I was like, that's so true. Like, no wonder this was so hard. Nobody taught me how to do this. So right. now that, uh, I'm doing what I was trained to do. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, Melissa and I talk about that all the time on the podcast. We're like, oh, we didn't have a curriculum writing <laughs> class, but yeah, we were expected to write curriculum. Yeah, yeah. And it was really hard. I mean, not just curriculum. Like, I mean, we were writing units in college and <laughs> ugh, craziness. Yeah. So I'm interested because I feel like you had this cool experience of in your first semester you didn't have of teaching, you didn't have a curriculum. So like you're a brand new teacher, you walk in the door, they're like, Hey, Natalie, have fun with your students, like yeah. teach them do your best. Yeah. And then for the first semester, you had nothing, I mean, not nothing, but you had not right. high quality stuff yeah. and you're trying to piece together and parse together stuff. Then it, the second semester with the same students, mm -hmm. you had high quality instructional materials. So I'm curious if you can kind of take us through the journey of that first year of like, hey, I walked in, I didn't know what I was doing in terms of like writing curriculum, putting things together, and yeah. I was muddling through. And then all of a sudden, things flipped and I got some high quality materials. And what happened? What did that look like? Yeah, so we definitely had a very unique experience that a lot of people I feel like don't get. Um, even if they are implementing a new curriculum, like you said, we were with the same group of kids. 
Yeah. So we got to see, um, in some ways, the first semester we saw their struggle because it was like, um, we, we weren't seeing the growth that we wanted to see. And it was just sort of like, every day we were kind of doing the same thing. And it was like, it just wasn't rigorous enough. And we saw their struggle whenever we started doing test prep things being like, wow, they're, they're not ready for this because we haven't given them anything that was high quality enough to prepare them for this. So we saw their struggle, but we also saw where the work that we were doing was so easy that they were like, man, I got this. I can do this. This is great. <laughs> and so then when we implemented Wit and Wisdom, it was like their confidence went from here initially mm-hmm. to like, because everything was so much harder. And then it kind of came back up because we were like, no, you can do this. It is harder, yeah. but you can do mm-hmm. hard things. And it just takes a lot of faith. And so then finally, it was just a cool, like, everything was so mm-hmm. easy for them. They thought they were on top of the world, but we knew like, that's not real life. And that's not preparing you for, you know, upper grades. It's not preparing you for testing, all these things. So then whenever we brought in Wit and Wisdom, it was cool to see them really learn how to trust themselves and to um, try new things and their confidence went back up pretty quickly. So that was cool. I always have this thought that like, if your students can just do everything that <laughs> you give them, then like, what what's the point of them coming to school for? Right. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it might feel good for them to be good mm-hmm. at everything that we give them. But in reality, we want to see growth. We want to see productive struggle. And so Witten Wisdom was able to do that for us. And I think we were yeah. really grateful for that. How did you navigate that, Natalie, as the teacher? Because, I mean, I think it's a little easier to do that from the beginning of the year, you know, if you have the curriculum. But how did you navigate that in the middle where they saw, where, like, I don't know, did you get, did you, like, talk to them about the productive struggle? And I did. And I I think it was cool that um, we were all figuring it out at the same time. Like, it was hard for me to adapt. And so I would just Mm. tell them, like, I know this is hard. And I know that it kind of stinks that right now we don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to get there together. Like, you're not on your own. I'm figuring it out, too. And so I would try really hard when I noticed that um, we were improving. Or I I keep thinking of Socratic Seminar because that was so hard for them initially. Mm. And so when I noticed, like, wow, you guys are really doing great, I would think, or I would tell them, remember when we first started this and it was so hard. Look how far you've come. Look how much better you're doing. Think about, um, like, I would sometimes set up a timer and we would watch the timer of how long there was an awkward silence (laughs) during Socratic Seminar. (laughs) You guys are down to 30 seconds. And so um, I think just navigating it together was a big deal. It wasn't like it was new to them, but not new to me. And um, yeah, so that was really helpful for all of us. I, from following you on Instagram, um, I feel like I get to see a cool window into your classroom and I see that you're super supportive of students and really tapped into the social emotional learning component of, Mm -hmm. you know, not just your third grade students, but also how the curriculum impacts that. Yeah. So I'm curious how, when you um, started implementing Wit and Wisdom in that second half of the year. What happened? I know you had mentioned that um, you saw students' growth and confidence really build with writing. Yes. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that. Like, what happened? What did you see? How did it grow? And how was it different than what they were writing about previously? Because I think it's really important that we do a little bit of like a juxtaposition between what you were doing and what you saw to what then you, after implementing high quality materials, then what you were doing and what you saw and why you saw that growth. 
Yeah. So I love to teach writing and I feel like that's not a common thing. Like I've heard from a lot of other teachers, like teaching writing is so hard, but I love it because I love the creative aspect of it. That's so, so neat. I was always so afraid to teach writing. I it always it. scared me. <laughs> I think it's so fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think so initially that first semester where we weren't doing Wit and Wisdom, our writing, um, they struggled. They were struggling. I mean, I had some that couldn't write a complete sentence coming into third grade. And it's mm-hmm. like, how do we expect them to write a paragraph? How do we expect them to write a five paragraph essay if they can't write a sentence? Yeah. And so a lot of it was just like, we're not moving forward till you can write a sentence. We're not doing this until we can do this, you know? And it was just, I felt stuck and I felt like they felt stuck too. So then with wit and wisdom, it kind of um, like pushes you off a ledge right away. And I remember (laughs) initially thinking like, oh my goodness, this is so hard for them. And it didn't scaffold at all. But if you just trust the process, you'll see that that kind of worked out in the long run because they were pushed off a ledge. And it was kind of like, I know that you can't do this yet, but we're going to try anyways and we'll get there. And then once they did, they were all like, wow, my paragraph is so long. Or look at the adjectives that I use. And I was like, I know, I know. So it was awesome to see um, the transition from struggling so much to just write a sentence. And I mean, a paragraph was almost impossible for a lot of them to then not only writing a paragraph, but writing a beautiful paragraph. So, so yeah, that was really awesome. Yeah. I feel like I... I can relate because I've been working with Presley with third grade stuff. So I'm really in tune to third grade stuff right now. And it is, it it does feel like, you know, you're like, you have these high expectations. Like we are going to write a paragraph. And she's like, "Mm, I don't, what are you talking about? Paragraph. I've never read paragraph before. And she's (laughs) like, you know, I mean, of course I'm mom, so it's different, but you know, she hasn't had to write a paragraph before because she hasn't ever been asked to. And I was like, well, this is what third graders do. Third graders write paragraphs. And then once, you know, I mean, and then it's very supportive. Like, that's what I also want to add to what you said. Like, it's not like we're like, here, you know, third graders write a paragraph. Go ahead. Yeah. It's very supportive. <laughs> the, you know, they're building knowledge. Every, all of the skills are spiraling. All of the knowledge is spiraling. They're, they're able to do it because it, the curriculum is so supportive. Yeah. But she, I mean, she wasn't only able to write one paragraph. She wrote two beautiful paragraphs in yeah. module one, Yeah, you know, and I, the things that they can, she, I mean, she was so proud. She still has it like hanging in her room. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. So. I think one thing that I like about Wit and Wisdom is it was hard to get used to the pace of things, but I do like that you keep on rolling, you know, like there's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of time to stick with just writing one paragraph because the next thing you know, like you're asked to write three. And I like that because I don't ever want them. I I, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I don't want them to get too comfortable with what they're doing. Like I want us to always be expanding and always mm-hmm. growing. And so I like that, that Wit and Wisdom does that. Yeah. But like Lori said, right. It's all building on each other. So it's not like you're going from like, we're going to do this random thing to now this other (laughs) random thing. And then they're feeling like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. I will say something that was um, interesting our first year that we piloted. So since we were piloting in January, we had already had a whole semester of certain standards Mm -hmm. and we were trying to um, kind of find the balance between what we had already done and what we were about to do. So they had us start with module two. So we skipped a lot of the stuff from module one and it was like, they were, they were so confused because there were things like 
the painted uh, essay and things like that. And we were like, yep, we're just going to figure it out together. And we did. <laughs> and it worked out. It just, it just took some time and a lot of, like I said, a lot of faith in ourselves and in each other and yeah. in the curriculum. <laughs> So now, you know, stay in the order of the modules, right? Because they build. <laughs> yeah. And then the next year we started, we were like, oh, yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> so that was cool. It's so funny because everybody always asks that. Well, can't, can't we just do module can, or, or like, can we reverse the module order? Like, can we do three, two, mm-hmm. and one or three, mm-hmm. one, and two? And, you know, there's for, for many different reasons, like, oh, well, this aligns with our science unit. This aligns with our social right. studies unit. Yeah. And I always think that's such an interesting question because it's not like when you're an adult, I, I, I mean, I've said this a hundred times, but when it's not like when you're an adult and you gain knowledge, like you don't gain it all in like one section of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It all <laughs> like happens. everything I'm going to learn about sea animals, I'm not learning all in one small chunk of space. Like, you know, right. it's over time. So it's so interesting to me that we try to like siphon that for children in school. And it's not like they're going to forget what they learn in science if they're then reading about something of the same topic in like yeah. module four and when wisdom, it's, it's only going to grow their knowledge even further. Right. And especially I feel like sometimes like we have a very similar situation. Our first module is all about the sea. And then we talk about, uh, well, it's really animals, but we talk about animals and animal structures and all that stuff later in the year. And it's cool after there's been sort of this pause between the wit and wisdom module and the science unit, it's cool to see them be like, oh, this is just like what we read about mm-hmm. in Boris or whatever, you know, like they, they make those connections and it helps me as the teacher to be like, all right, good. That's sticking with them. It's not sticking yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually sticking with them because that was months ago. So yeah, I really like um, the order of things. So. I, was say, I don't know the actual brain science of that. I'm sure there is some, but I always think that like, I think it seems better to do what you just said, yeah. Natalie, of like make, making those connections throughout the year or yeah, even yeah, the following year versus like, okay, we did all animals in October and we're done. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm never going to talk never about talk them again. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. So that was cool to... Um, see within our first year of doing wit and wisdom full, like all the way through. Yeah. We need to have um, Daniel Willingham on to tell us the brain science of that. Like maybe we can ask him to listen to this episode (laughs) and then dissect it and we can unpack it together. (laughs) (laughs) He's my friend on Facebook, so we can work on that. All right. We've, we've been trying, so we'll yeah. keep trying. We'll keep trying. <laughs> I'm wondering about, um, Nellie, you mentioned it for yourself that it was, you know, there were difficult parts of transitioning to wit and wisdom. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like how, like what, what was it at first that was challenging? How has it gotten better? Have you yeah. like done anything to help it <laughs> be a little yeah, bit easier? I think- this is probably a common answer to this question. I think that the pacing was probably the hardest thing initially because there's so much Mm -hmm. in just one lesson that we would look at it and be like, man, we could be teaching this for three hours, but we only have (laughs) one and a half. So how are we going to fit all this in? And so now I figured out like, um, you know, it gives you the, the time increments in your lessons in Witten Wisdom. And I figured out that's a suggestion and that's wonderful to have, but each class is different. And my class might get through the deep dive in 15 minutes, like it says, or it might take them an hour. And so I have to sort of look at my class, you know, my individual kids and think, 
where should we spend a whole lot of time and what do they already know and where can we speed up a little bit? And so I think that it's important to remember that like, yes, the curriculum is given to you and it's wonderful and it has everything you need right there packaged for you and you're not being asked to write the curriculum. But at the same time, like use your teacher brain and think about your kids and what they need the most. So now that I've been doing it for, I guess, like two and a half years, I've got it down to a science and we're like, we roll through a lesson a day, just like it's supposed to. And, you know, initially it was taking us several days to get through one lesson. So yeah, that was probably the biggest challenge, but it just took some adjusting and yeah. It's so funny because when, um, when Melissa and I were in Baltimore, well, when I was in Baltimore, I'll speak for myself. Melissa can, can jump in. Um, I, you know, we would go in classrooms and during year one, it seemed like sometimes teachers would get caught up in like the welcome activity. And then suddenly a welcome that was supposed to take like five minutes would take like 35 minutes. And then, you know, then you're, you're quote already behind the eight ball and you've literally just started. Um, Whereas, you know, the intention is to spend the majority of the time of the lesson in the learn section. Cause that's where like the, all the good stuff happens in that learn yeah. section. So, you know, in, but in year one, you also said it very well, Natalie, everybody's just learning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it may feel really comfortable to stay in the welcome and it's important to have that like metacognitive piece where you're like, Hey, this, where do I, where do my kids need more support? Is it really in the welcome? Cause usually it's not right. Like it's going to be in the learn. So like, how can you, as your, as the teacher, as the practitioner know where to spend more time based on what your students are showing you. And it may feel more comfortable for you as the teacher to stay in the welcome. Cause that's where you feel comfortable. So, you yeah. know, being really cognizant of that too, and, and aware, I think is really important. But I, I remember like seeing that and being like, that was an aha moment for me was mm-hmm. seeing like folks spend more time in parts of the lesson where they felt most comfortable rather mm-hmm. than where the students needed yeah. more to, to really be pushed. So that was, that was a really like interesting, um, view from, for me to access and then thinking about how that interplays and if impacts student learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was just thinking too, like, just because it can take 30 minutes for that learning, learn or the launch part of it doesn't mean it has to, right? Yeah. Like you as the teacher can control that. Like, yeah, we could talk about this or they could take that long to discuss whatever it is, but you don't, you can do we need to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, that's such that's a good point. Right? Like, yeah. Do we actually need to? Yeah. Like no. where would it be best time, time well spent, you know, and it's probably going to be in the learn part. So yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. So Natalie, what did you do to learn the curriculum well enough to be able to make those choices? Yeah. So it was, it was like dissecting it piece by piece and my team would meet together before pretty much every lesson at the beginning. And we would sit with the, um, we would make copies of it and have it in front of us. And all of us would sit there and make notes out to the side of everything and then put our notes together. And, you know, at first we were like, we thought this was going to be easier than not having having to do so much work, but we just kept reminding ourselves like, yes, we have to do work, you know, initially, but eventually we won't have to do this for every lesson. And so, yeah, yeah, it was a lot, like I said, just dissecting it piece by piece. And even like at times I felt like I was just trying to memorize it. Like the questions Mm -hmm. that it would tell me to ask, I would have to write them down on a sticky note and have them right in front of me so that when I would ask the class, I would be like, all right, check. We did that. We did this. 
And so now it's a lot more natural because I've done it several times. So, yeah, I just, that's what we should be learning in undergrad. Yes, 100%. <laughs> that's what we should learn. <laughs> we should be practicing. Like, here's the sample curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> what do you then do with it? Yeah. Yeah, one I day, one day we're going to be in charge. We're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you sat down and you really thought about it. I, Melissa, do you remember doing the, um, the pro the preparation protocols mm-hmm. and sitting together the first yep. time we did the preparation protocol, the module study protocol, Natalie, it took us like, and this was not counting reading the book and it was for eighth grade. So much different than third grade. <laughs> yeah. I think it took us like four hours and I was like, this is this is so much, but you're learning the content while you're also learning the process. Once you yeah. learn one or the other, it goes, you know, it goes a lot faster. Yeah. Like by the end of the year, I was like, oh, I got this down. It took like an hour and a half, you know, to really internalize to, at that high level. But in the beginning, you're like putting so much work in just to be a learner yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you said, just learning tell. the texts too at first. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would tell my students. Like, you're not the only one that's having to work hard right now. <laughs> We're doing this too. <laughs> that's, that's a good great. point. So what, what um, professional development sessions did you have to help you kind of s- and support you with learning the curriculum? Yeah. So like I said, third grade across the county and uh, we piloted it. So we went to, I believe it was launch is the um, professional development that we had. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if that was one or two days, but yeah, so we had that one. one and then one day. Okay. Yeah. So we had that one and then we had several other ones that were kind of unofficial professional developments. Like our school would be like, okay, here's a day for just you guys to plan and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so our county, really the county, our administration, everybody was super, super supportive of us. And they gave us everything that we needed to be successful with Wit and Wisdom. What did they give you, Natalie? Um, so <laughs> like I said, they gave us a full day. They let, so they got the third grade teachers coverage and let, well, at least our school did. I don't know if the whole county did <laughs> coverage for the day. And we were allowed to just go in and plan several lessons ahead because like I said, we were dissecting it piece by piece and it was taking forever. So Mm -hmm. it was really nice of them to say like, these are your working hours. And we recognize that you're having to do a lot of work for this outside of your working hours. So we're going to give you a full day to get ahead of the game. And that was really nice. And just, if anything, it just showed us that we're not in this alone. They've got our back. Our lead educator was very supportive and she Mm -hmm. still is because I mean, we're always learning more about wit and wisdom and mm-hmm. the things that are on the website for us to use and just all sorts of uh, different materials that come with the curriculum. And our lead educator is still coming in and observing us teach and then reflecting with us and giving us feedback um, specifically geared towards implementing wit and wisdom. So yeah. And that's also, awesome. Yeah. She's wonderful. And our principal is wonderful. We're just really lucky <laughs> to have had the support that we had implementing it, especially piloting it. Yeah. Very, very supportive of like, so I'm hearing you say you got time. <laughs> I'm going to also assume you got all the resources that you needed. So you weren't sitting there like, where are the books, right? Like yeah, you had what you needed yeah. and, and time seemed to be important. And that in that time you were able to, what I call intellectually prep, you weren't like mm-hmm. organizing books or pulling books out of boxes. You were actually in the curriculum doing the work yeah. of learning the lesson and learning the focusing arcs and learning the the, um, you know, the modules and really trying to deeply understand what's happening. 
Yeah. And then also, since we're a title school, our title team made sure that we had any supplemental material that goes with it. Like, there, you know, there's all kinds of extra books that come with it that aren't necessarily read through the module, but it's just there that go with the theme of the module. And they made sure we had all of those. And we just had access to pretty much anything that we could need to be successful doing this. And that was really nice. Yeah. I mean, that's so key. Is the- you know, often it's like, well, we got this new curriculum, (laughs) (laughs) go. (laughs) So it's really is, I mean, it's great to hear the things that your administration can do to support and and make sure you're successful with, I mean, it's a big, it's a big change for teachers. Mm -hmm. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to shift us a little bit. Um, so I, um, I, I published a blog, and it is on uh, Wit and Wisdom site. I will share it in the podcast notes. Um, but it's a reflection blog. And I want to ask you, Natalie, a couple questions for reflection from the blog because I think that it's so critical. I mean, you're closer to the end of the school year in Tennessee than we are here in Baltimore. We're still like <laughs> a month, one month. <laughs> you're a month out. Yeah. I, oh, Presley School doesn't end till like June 23rd. 2nd, 23rd. Oh, let me check the calendar. Make sure. I'm I mean, right. that's, I guess it's kind of a month, but it feels, it feels like longer than that. Maybe my countdown is wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, you know what we need to do, Melissa? We need to have one of those calendars where you, the big desk calendars. I used to like X those out at the end of the school year. Do you still do that, Natalie? Uh, we I, have like a balloon pop countdown. Going. Nice. Yeah, that's fun. That fun. Yeah. My mom was just telling me she has one of those X's, X calendars <laughs> <laughs> and she listens to the podcast. So hi mom. <laughs> hi, Mrs. Loftus. <laughs> okay. So we are going to ask Natalie some questions and she's going to take some time to reflect on this school year. Cause her school year ends what in seventies. Yep. We have seven <gasps> oh my goodness. Days. Yeah. <laughs> so Sumner County, Tennessee is starting their summer break really yeah. soon. Yeah. All right. So um, I will link the blog to you. So anybody who wants to read the whole blog can, um, but really we're just reflecting on, you know, how to, how to consider uh, reflection at the end of the school year. And what are the steps to do that? And what are the areas that you could reflect on? So we had Natalie pick um, a couple areas that she's interested in. And uh, the first area is um, productive struggle. So I am going to ask you, Natalie, to think about in what ways did you support your students and allow your students to do the heavy lifting and the work of the curriculum? Yeah, so I think it's important that they're given the time to sort of work on their own sometimes, because I feel like a common trait among teachers is to be nurturing. And I just Mm -hmm. want so badly to Mm -hmm. be like, Oh, here, just, just let me do it. You know, or let me help you or I'll do it first. And then you copy what I write, you know, like we just want so bad to see them succeed. And sometimes it's hard for us to step back and say, I want to see you succeed, but I also want to see how proud of yourself you get to be when you do it on your own. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was something, especially with wit and wisdom that took some time for us to just like as teachers to trust that they can do it, that they will do it and to teach them to trust themselves. Yeah. Um, I have a toddler that's teaching me that right now. His Aww. new, his new <laughs> phrase is I'm going to do it by myself, mommy. <laughs> but it's a really good point for teachers too, that yeah. we often help them so much that they don't get to try it on their own. Yeah. Can you give an example of that maybe in um, 
in a writing task or in a Socratic seminar? Yeah, so definitely with Socratic seminar, because we were instructed to remain silent until it's over. And and I told my students ahead of time, like, it's going to be weird. This is going to feel very (laughs) awkward, but I'm just going to sit here. It's like, I'm not in the room. Did they just look at you? Yeah. They just like stare like, <laughs> yeah, and they would just look at each other and some of them would start to snicker because it's like, it's so awkward. And I'm sitting there like, this is painful to just sit in silence. But then one brave little kid would finally be like, um, I felt this way about the story. And it's like, good, good, good. We're doing it. And once they see one person do it, they're kind of like, okay, I guess I can try it too. But that's, yeah, as far as productive struggle, it was quite the struggle. <laughs> the Socratic <laughs> seminars were at first. Now they're like, you know, they got this. They're so confident in it. It's like a breeze. That's amazing. Um, so I'm curious, what scaffolds or supports were effective and maintained the rigor and which were less successful or took away opportunities for productive struggle? And I feel like you kind of talked a little bit about that, but I'd love for you to elaborate on those Yeah. So because the Socratic seminar was so difficult for my students, I ended up having to find different ways to let them practice because I think for a lot of them, it's not even that they didn't know what to say. It's that they were so embarrassed to speak up. And it was so strange because they're used to like, you only talk when you raise your hand. And now suddenly it was more of a discussion and they didn't know. (laughs) They were just like, this is like, how do I navigate this? (laughs) Such a good point. Yeah. (laughs) So what I would do is I would start off with um, our table groups and say, okay, here's the topic. Mm -hmm. This is what you're discussing. So then instead of having to, um, you know, give their thoughts in front of the whole class, they were doing it with three or four other kids. And it was easier too, because I felt like a lot of them were afraid to speak up because they would start to talk and somebody else would at the same time. And they would be like, Oh, what do I do? This is weird. (laughs) And so in a smaller group, it was easier because they didn't have to worry about that as much. And it just gave them time to practice. They were discussing the same thing. They were still hitting those speaking and listening skills that we're going for. It was just on a smaller scale and it Mm -hmm. gave them the confidence to be able to do that. And then gradually, like then I would take, um, two of the table groups and mix them together. So it's still not the whole class, but we went from a group of four to a group of eight. And then eventually we were doing it with the whole class. So it was just kind of baby steps into it. That's really smart. Yeah. I also love that you, you'd mentioned in our pre-call that you had them jot notes. So they felt more prepared and we know that they do that in win wisdom lessons, but you really encourage them to use that. Um, and then one thing that I wanted to share that you didn't share that you had mentioned before is that you used YouTube videos of other classes doing Socratic seminars to build their confidence. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. I like, it just gave them a visual. And so a lot of them, they were just confused on what they were expected to do. So seeing other kids do it. And a lot of times it would be kids that were older, but I did find one video where it was a group of first graders and it was cool to be able to say like, look, these kids are six years old and they're doing it. So if they can do it, you can absolutely <laughs> right. do it. Yeah. So that was very helpful for them because at least then they knew what it looked like, what I was expecting mm-hmm. out of them. And yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny, like they, they had no, no concept of it, right? Like uh-huh. this is not what school is like. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that makes and so I much would, sense to show them. Yeah. And I really liked that Socratic seminar is sort of, um, it's like giving them a chance to have kind of adult conversation. You know, mm-hmm. that's what a discussion is. You're talking with each other, not just saying how you feel and being done. And that was another thing that was hard 
to make sure that they were really listening to what someone else had had said, because somebody would say something like, I thought that the character was sad. And then they would be like, I agree with what you said. The character was so happy. And I was like, you have no clue what they just said. (laughs) So it was interesting to teach them, like, you can't just say what you're thinking. You have to respond to what, you know, what other kids are saying. And it's a discussion. You're not just answering the question. That was my biggest struggle with middle schoolers was the Socratic <laughs> seminar. Yeah. And they were, I'd like to build on what Lori said. And I'm like, you did not build on that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but they did use that sentence. They stem. did use they it. Used they the did. Yeah. yeah. So you know they're listening to some of what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I would do? I would always sit, um, when I did it with fifth grade, I would sit out outside of the circle where they kind of like in an earshot where they couldn't see me like per se, like I kind of had myself turned sideways, but I was listening to everything they were saying. And when I wasn't there and I would not make eye contact with any of them. And then they would feel like they only had each other to make eye contact with. <laughs> yeah. And, but I could hear everything that was going on and they were amazing because I could, I took myself out of it and just kind of like looked down and just took notes as they were talking. But it was, it built their confidence that they had just yeah. like their peers to talk to you versus relying on me. I was like, you're not going to have me in real life. I'm not sitting on your shoulder going with you exactly. to a job interview when you're 22. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. be there. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. It's like, what an incredible opportunity that we got as teachers to show them, like, you don't have to have me. Like, you can yeah. do stuff on your own. I don't have to be there. And, you yeah. know, another thing that I tried with scaffolding it is, at the time, Fortnite was like the biggest thing ever. And it's kind of died down a little bit now, but it was like huge that year. And I was like, okay, so take this wit and wisdom topic and kind of stick it somewhere else in your brain. We're going to talk about Fortnite. And I would give them a question like, I don't know, uh, do you think that Fortnite helps your brain or hurts your brain or something like that? And I would let them have a discussion about that because then it was something that they were already familiar with. And it was like, okay, so now that you know what we're doing, bring back the reading topic and we're going to do the same thing, but talk about this. And they, I felt like appreciated me giving them the chance to do it kind of, you know, with something that they're familiar with and then we'll do the hard stuff. (laughs) That's really smart. I like that. And I'm sure you didn't take like four hours talking about Fortnite. It was just a very brief, like, (laughs) let's just practice. (laughs) Get used to the conversation. And that was helpful too, because I was able to say, Like, did you notice how when they said one thing, you actually responded to what they had said, not just what you think about Fortnite? And they're like, oh, yeah, I get it now. I get what you're saying. Good. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I think that's kind of an example of the next thing that we want to have you reflect on a bit, which is your classroom community. So just thinking about like relationships with your students, social emotional learning, like what did you do? And I'm curious what you may have done differently this year for virtual (laughs) that you would, uh, you know, maybe it was just looked a little different than it would be in person. Yeah. So um, my passion as a teacher is social emotional learning. And I spent a lot of time researching being a mindful educator and all this stuff. And so, yeah, this question's right up my alley. (laughs) So I guess with wit and wisdom, I know I had mentioned this before. It's just like having faith in each other. And it took a lot of faith on their part to believe like that their teachers got this, we're going to figure this out together. And that really took it. It took our um, classroom family dynamic to the next level because it was like, we worked through something really difficult and we all figured this out together. And it was just a bonding experience for us that a lot of 
classrooms don't get to have. It was just, it was just a unique way of building that relationship. And so I try to continue doing that each year, even though it's not the same as it was that first year, because we had had a semester without it and we were learning to do it. Like now, yes, it's still difficult. It's still rigorous and all of that, but they've done it for several years. So it's not quite Mm -hmm. the same. Um, So I think just taking the time to celebrate when they do something well. I know in our pre-call, I kind of mentioned, I have a board in my classroom where it's kind of like the the fridge, you know, when they do something well, we stick their work on the board and we're like, that's awesome. If you want to know what to do, go look at so-and-so's work because it's up there and you can go up there and use that as a model for what you should do too. And that's a really fun way to um, kind of grow that family dynamic, like I had mentioned. Yeah. And then I know uh, you mentioned the virtual thing. So that we yeah, were lucky. You can't stick things on the wall anymore. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we were lucky. Most of our school year was fairly normal. We that's had... Good. um our first two weeks we did like a hybrid thing. And so we were still at school and the days that they were off, I was teaching the other half of the class. So they didn't have virtual days. It was like, they just went to school two days a week. So we did that for a couple of weeks and then we came back full force and we were in person for the rest nice. of the year, except uh, if somebody got sick, we would quarantine for a couple of weeks and then come right back. So really, I didn't have to get too creative because we were in person the majority of the year. Oh, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was really lucky. Yes, it yeah. was. I know a lot of people did not have that experience. So Yeah, then you got to recreate all those things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious, how did you like foster that safe learning community? Because that I know that's a big component of social emotional learning and helping students feel safe sharing for example, in a Socratic seminar. (laughs) Um, But how, how did you help students feel comfortable sharing ideas and taking risks? Yeah. So as far as taking risks, I like to model that for them. And sometimes I will intentionally mess up on something so that I'm able to be like, oh man, I made a mistake, but that's fine. Grownups make mistakes. Here's how I'm going to fix it. And so that kind of shows them like, oh, we're allowed to mess up in here. Okay. Well, maybe I can try it then because it's okay if I fail. And also, I work really hard to teach my students how to encourage each other, just like we're a team. You know, if someone on your softball team, you know, makes a mistake, it's very rare that you hear teammates bashing each other. It's just something about sports, all of that suddenly goes out the window and everybody's, you know, we're all working towards the same goal of winning Mm -hmm. the game. So it doesn't matter if somebody made a mistake, help them fix it. And I try really hard to instill that in my students in the classroom because we are a team. We are a family. And it's important that if somebody messes up, we're able to sort of pick them back up and help them figure it out. And with Socratic Seminar specifically, a lot of times my students would start talking and I don't know if they got nervous or lost their train of thought, but they would, you know, have this really great thing and then suddenly be like, uh, and then... (laughs) Um, and I taught my kids, like, if somebody does that, this is what you say, you're listening to what they say. And then you step in and say, I think what you might be trying to say is blah, 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 blah. Does that sound right? Like help them get back on track. And a lot of times the kids would be like, yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Thank you. And it was just sort of a way to let each other know, like, you can try things in here and it's okay. If you don't get it the first time, you'll get it eventually. And everybody's rooting for you. 
I love that team aspect. I just, I was thinking back when you said it to my own schooling and I was so competitive in school. <laughs> like I always wanted to be the first one done. I wanted it to be yeah. the highest grade. And I just feel like, I mean, maybe it was just me, but I always feel like there's like a little bit of competition in school, right? Like is, you're yeah. like competing against the people and that idea of like building a team with, I much, would have much rather had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that too. I mean, I feel like it just, it makes it so like everybody's working toward that one thing. And the one thing at the moment is a Socratic seminar, right? And then the one thing at the moment is a writing task, but it's not like you can't say to your buddy next to you, like, hey, I found this text evidence. Like, do you think that this will work for this? Because like, that's what teammates do. They bounce ideas off each other and they practice and it it doesn't feel so much like you're alone. Like I remember feeling very alone in school. Like I have to do this task Mm -hmm. and I need to get an A and I need to work as hard as I can. But I agree, Melissa, I would have loved that team approach. I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, such a better way to uh, (laughs) facilitate learning, right? Yeah, For and especially sure. with academics, like you mentioned, there is such a competitive aspect of it, especially as you go on to you know middle school and high school, it just gets worse. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's important to make an effort to level the playing field and to just say like, we're all working towards the same goal academically. Yeah. And then also as far as emotional learning goes, we talk about how everybody feels embarrassed sometimes and everybody feels nervous and everybody mm-hmm. messes up and it's totally fine. Like we got this. It's all right. I'm curious how, when you, when you all view and engage with art in Witten Wisdom, how that helps be supportive of like a safe um, risk taking learning community. Yeah. So something that I love about Witten Wisdom is the art aspect because, you know, I have students who can't read and it's like, we're asking them to find text evidence, but they can't read the text. And so even, you know, if they're able to look at a picture and kind of figure out what's going on in the story, they're still not quite able yet to be on the same level as their peers. But when we show them a piece of art, everybody's able to look at that. You know, you don't have to be taught how to look at art, whereas you do have to be taught how to read. So it's nice to give those students a chance because every time I ask a question, there's the same four or five kids that aren't able to answer it. They're not able to participate because they don't have that knowledge yet and they're working on it. But then it gives me a chance as the teacher to call on them knowing, okay, they actually do know the answer. They are able to explain what's going on because we're just looking at a piece of art. So I like that they're given the opportunity to participate. And it gives them the chance to then like, you know, they're building knowledge, they're building their vocabulary, they're using their vocabulary and knowledge. Um, and just thinking at a higher level that yes you know, definitely because it does require deeper thinking when you're looking at art I think yeah, it really does yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, sometimes deeper like, than when you read right because yeah, I, agree. I feel too and it also <laughs> kind of goes back to that uh team building thing that we've already talked about that gives them a chance to show the class like I'm carrying my weight I'm also you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm worth something I can do something because we are all working towards the same goal. And so it's nice for them to get the chance to say, no, I know what's going on and I can do things too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember so seeing um, Kier, one of, he's been on our podcast before. He did a, 
a launch session with teachers and he said like he was treating them like students you know they were like practicing like they were students and he said like your thoughts matter because you matter <laughs> and it was when they were looking at art and I just yeah. that way, that's stuck with me for like two years now <laughs> yeah, <I love> that. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah the art piece is huge I'm did have you this is random, but have you, uh, any students or families told you that they went home and were looking at art and, um, engaging in like the content stages? Um, not as much, but I did have a student tell me once that he went to a restaurant and I don't know what restaurant this was, but they had different works of art, like all over the wall, like painted or printed right onto the wall. And he was like, I saw this the other day at the restaurant. Oh. And then he went home and told his parents, he was like, we're learning about this. Like, oh, that is so cool. Because a lot of times, you know, I think of other curriculums and the content, like the things that they're reading are, you know, sort of uh, like enclosed just within that curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to be like, no, like this is real stuff. <laughs> like, you know, right. yeah. it's something somebody created for wit and wisdom. Like this is pulled from other places. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the very trite uh, paragraphs that you're reading to find the main idea, mm-hmm. you're not going to find those in the real world. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But the art, yeah, the art is amazing. I only ask because Presley, when she, after I, um, we started doing some with wisdom, she would like walk around the house and I've said this to Melissa before, like, we don't have like fancy art. We have, you know, Ikea and um, TJ Maxx and yeah. home goods and whatever. And she would like walk around and be like, I notice. And I wonder, and what do you think is happening here? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you think is happening in this Ikea picture? You know, it, it was so funny and just such an amazing transfer to see it especially with the art, like it cracked me up to see it with the art because she was like walking around, like our house was a gallery. And I was just thinking like how many other parents would, (laughs) would be like, wait, what's happening? Like, why is my kid doing this? Yeah, You know, and, um, really just like where the kid is transferring those, those skills and, and ways to unpack a text, which is amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. It was funny. I know. So, um, I want to ask you another question about how you intentionally fostered social emotional learning and like if you had any particular steps that you took in order to do that and in reflecting on it, if you'll take any additional steps next year or if there's anything you want to really keep that you did this year to foster that social emotional learning. Yeah. So every Monday we start off our day with mindfulness Monday and I usually have a brief conversation with them about a specific topic. Like, Sometimes we talk about asking for help and who we can trust to ask for help. Sometimes we talk about why we feel embarrassed sometimes and how everybody feels embarrassed. And then I give them each a chance to share if they want to, how they're feeling in that moment. And it's really cool because a lot of times they're like, I feel excited because we're getting a cat. Like, you know, it's, it's silly stuff. But then I have some kids who are like, you know, I haven't seen my dad in months and I'm seeing him this weekend and I'm excited, but I'm kind of nervous. And the other kids will say, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I had this similar situation with so-and-so and it is kind of scary, but it's really exciting too. And it's just cool to see them communicating with each other and learning like everything you feel is okay. Anything that you feel is okay and your feelings belong and they matter. And it's okay for us to discuss that with each other. It doesn't have to be some hidden thing that you just carry with you and nobody knows that you're feeling that mm-hmm. way. 
So that's part of Mindfulness Monday. And then we meditate together, which people think is so crazy. And it took my class some time to get used to that. But it's really helpful just to have like a four or five minute thing. They spread around the room. So it's not like we're in a circle staring at each other, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but they spread around the room and I let them get comfortable. And I usually just find something on YouTube. Sometimes I lead it myself and we just take a few minutes just to just be, just to be. And that's, you know, you're not being asked to do anything super hard. You're not being asked to think about anything too wild, just exist for a minute. And then we start our, our week together. I don't think it's weird. I did it with my students too. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) And I did see such a a change in the kiddos who really needed to like be folk, like come back and be really focused. Yeah. And then they would, they were like, okay, now it's school time. Yes. And that's the thing, like, do all of them need it? Probably not. But I have a couple students who come in with so much weighing on them. And so for those couple of kids, yeah, the whole class is going to take a second. We're going to do this. And they don't all have to know that it's for those one or two, but I know that it's making a difference for them. So if we take five minutes to do that, it's okay, because that's going to make the rest of my week so much better mm-hmm. and theirs. But as far well, as behavior goes, it cuts down on a lot of stuff. Totally. Right. Right. Mel- Melissa is a yoga teacher, so I want to hear her thoughts on this. Oh, but <laughs> but I feel like it, this reminds me, Melissa, we podcasted with um, Crystal from English Learner Success Forum, and she said, um, what's good for English learners is good for all students, but what's good for all students is not necessarily good for English learners. And I feel like that statement is true here without the, quote, English learner yeah. category, on, you know, topic on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, yes for my thoughts, but <laughs> um, no, I just think that, uh, I, what Natalie said is true is like, sometimes people feel like that's just taking time. Like I don't have the time for that. It's taking time away from something more important. Um, but if you do really look big picture, I mean, it really does help students to get through everything else. Right. And like, not just get through it, but to like be more successful throughout. Yeah. And I think that's what happens in yoga, right? Then you're more successful, like the rest of your, <laughs> in the rest of your life. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So I'm um, curious, Natalie, if you, in within the curriculum, if you've seen any texts or topics as supportive of social emotional learning and help students like see the world in a different way. I know um, Melissa and I always talk about like mirrors and windows and how the texts provide mirrors so students can see themselves, but then also windows so students can see and engage with, you know, topics and people that they would not normally have access to in their, you know, four walls of their hometown or four walls of their house or classroom. So if you could speak about that, we would love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. So in our town, um, a lot of these kids have never gone on vacation. They have never left Mm -hmm. their town. And, you know, we take, we're right outside of Nashville, but we take our field trips to Nashville. And some of them are like, wow, look at those buildings. Like they've never seen Mm -hmm. that before. So in our, in the third grade, uh, like our fourth module or no, our third module is all about different culture and immigration specifically. But we take a lot of time to look at um, things that Chinese kids see and things that Hispanic kids see. And it's really cool and eye-opening for our students because they're like, wow, I had no idea that there was anything outside of our town. Like they've never even been to our state capital, you know? And so it's awesome for them. And then uh, specifically, I have one student who is from Mexico. And in our town, like that's a unique thing to have, like, you know, we're not a very diverse school. 
And so for this kid to come in and learn about immigration, because that's her life, like they did here. And so it's awesome. It gives her a chance to tell us, you know, from firsthand experience, or at least from her parents' firsthand experience, what that was like. And it's just, it kind of brings that connection for the other kids too, to think like, this isn't just some story that's made up that's away from here and has nothing to do with us. Like, this is our friend, you know, we're Mm -hmm. learning about her life. And so yeah, that module in particular is really, really helpful. Yeah. And for her to see her life valued, <laughs> so she could, you know, like she's seeing yeah. it in a whole module. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we were coming to the point, Natalie, where we ask our guests to leave a piece of advice and your voice has just been so much fun to listen to. Oh. And I would encourage everybody listening to follow Natalie on Instagram. So first I'm going to ask you to share your Instagram handle. I think that's, that's what you say, right? Handle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like your Twitter, your Twitter, whatever your Instagram handle, you can share it all, whatever you've got. And then, um, and then share a piece of advice. Yeah. So my Instagram is Mrs. Anderson in third. Um, and I just share all sorts of things from ideas that I have ideas that I get from other people and sharing their information. And also, like I said, social emotional learning is my passion as a teacher. So a lot of what I share is in regards to that. So yeah, Mrs. Anderson in third and I'll link it. I'll link it too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And then my advice is just to remember that everybody has a different background and, um, in your teaching and just in your communicating, even, you know, beyond with your students, with your coworkers or anyone really, it's just to remember that everybody comes from something different. And so those experiences, whether they be happy experiences or traumatic experiences, that is what determines how they respond to everything that you're doing. So if a student comes in and I don't know, say you're playing a game and they lose the game and they have a you know, horrific tantrum, well, maybe they're a perfectionist. And maybe for them, they've been taught at home, we don't lose, we don't make mistakes. So losing to them means something, you know, much heavier than losing to the kid that's taught that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, just remember that everybody is made up of different experiences. And that's what determines how they respond to the things that you say, or the things that you're doing, or the experiences that they're about to go through. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Natalie, it's I want really important to build knowledge. You know, when you're thinking about building knowledge, those experiences shape how they access the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come see your classroom. Uh, you can see it on Instagram. <laughs> Again, it's very, it's adorable. I was scrolling through. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I know that we, because of, uh, you know, Melissa and I's child schedules and then your teacher <laughs> schedule and you're on central time and we're on a different time zone. Yeah. It's Saturday. So we're podcasting <laughs> on a Saturday. So thank you for giving us, a, you know, an hour and a half of your Saturday to do this. It, it's been so much fun talking with you. And we're super grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was so much fun. I loved this and I love the podcast. So this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a really good, great rest of your weekend. Yeah, you guys too. See ya. Bye. Bye.